we've uh, we've been spending some time. So we're in the book of Romans. We've been going through uh, the book little by little, but we started off kind of um, taking a look at Romans Road. I've been trying to put it to memory by just kind of reciting it every week to kind of get very familiar with it because if you know Romans Road, if you know those verses, it can help you kind of structure your testimony in a way that you can clearly communicate the gospel to somebody else. So if you ever find yourself in a position where somebody's asking you about your faith or you feel the Holy Spirit calling you to share your faith, you'll feel equipped and confident in being able to do that. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and we're just going to read through uh, five verses is maybe a little bit shorter version of Romans Road, uh, but just to kind of get us started and get familiar with uh, five verses that, that outline what the gospel message is, what the good news is for the world. So we're going to start with Romans 3.23, and if you want, you can uh, read it out loud with me together. It says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we go to Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And Romans uh, 10, 9 and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And lastly, Romans 8.1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And I love the ending. I don't know. I, I love the whole thing, but you get to the end and there's no kind of like we were, you know, you, you, when you remember this all the way through, the wages of sin is death. We all sinned. We had that death. We had condemnation coming our way. And the end in Jesus showing his love and dying for us is that we no longer have that condemnation. We're no longer subject to the wages of those of that sin. And so uh, it's it's good news. That is the good news for the world. So I don't know, every time I read through it, every time I contemplate it, sometimes we can read through it and not really think about it. But when you think about it, like you can't help but get excited about your faith. Um, All right, so um, we're going to go back and, and, uh, not go back, but we're going to go to where we are in in Romans now. This, uh, we're in Romans chapter 2, and we're going to be doing verses uh, 17 through 29. And so... Uh, But before we jump into that, um, before we uh, finish off chapter 2, I want to kind of do a little bit of a recap. This is going to be our third message with the general theme of the wrath of God. And uh, although today's text does not contain the word wrath, it's part of Paul's general warning um, that there's pending judgment to those who deny God, Uh, whether we deny him totally or whether he's denied in part by us excusing our sins and trying to um, come up with our own method of, of self-righteousness, our own method of getting to God by our own merits um, that gives us a false sense of security. And today, the message is going to be focused on that people who have that false sense of security, where their, their faith is not really based on Jesus, but it's based on their own knowledge and based on their own credentials. 
Um, but before we jump into that, like I said we're going to do a quick recap, somewhat quick recap. I've got seven points. I'm going to try and go through them real quick here. But this kind of shows us where we've been so we can better understand where we're headed. So, so far um, in the book of Romans, we've read how God is real. Creation declares that there is a God. Creation has made it obvious that there is a God. But humans, point number two, humans have denied their creator and they've denied their um, they've denied by denying their creator, they've really denied the, re- the very reason for their existence. When we deny God, we end up replacing him with a God of our own making, uh, which is really just the God of self, because we're, we're making up who this God is. So we're making him up in, in our own image or in our own desires. Uh, point number three, when God is no longer our source or no longer the source that we go to uh, or that we use to to see the world through, the, our source of, of order and our source of life, our minds become dark and confused. And uh, in that dark confusion, we become more and more sinful, uh, breaking the laws of God that he has written on our hearts. Number four, every sin, every deviation against law is an offense against his very nature and his character. The, the law of God is not something he got from somewhere else. The law of God is based on who God is. So when we break it, it is an offense, it's an insult to who God is, to his very nature and character. And so rightfully, it angers him, and we, there's wrath stored up against us when we sin against him. Uh, number five, uh, God gave us the law both written on our hearts and also he spoke through Moses and he spoke through the prophets and they were recorded in the Old Testament to warn us so that we could recognize our sin. But people misunderstood the purpose of the law and they thought that the, they could use the law to prove how good they are. But the purpose of the law was to show that we can't live a perfect life. And so they just fool themselves by comparing themselves to other people rather than comparing themselves to a truly holy and righteous God. Um, six, we're getting close to the end here. Uh, the recap, God is not just the lawgiver and judge, but he's also a loving creator. His law was given alongside a promise, a promise that there is a coming savior. Uh, we read that God is wonderfully kind. He's tolerant. He's, he's patient. And his patience and his kindness is intended to turn us from our sin. And then we ended uh, our last section, number point number seven, uh, we, we ended with a verse that said, um, and this is the message I proclaim. This is Paul's saying, he's saying, this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. It's, it's, not, it's not the whole gospel message, but it is an important piece that we have to understand so that we recognize that we need the gospel message. If we don't know that there's a day coming when God's wrath will be poured out and that our secret life, that maybe everybody else thinks we're really good, you know, in comparison to everybody else, but God knows us. He knows our heart. He knows our intentions, and he knows where we've failed. And, um, and he's going to judge everyone's secret life. For believers whose sins have been washed away, uh, we're going to be rewarded for the good works that we've done. But for the unbeliever, uh, we read also um, last week that because you are stubborn because they are stubborn and refuse to turn for their sins. They are storing up terrible punishment for themselves. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 
And so that's where we ended last week. Like I said, we're in the wrath of God. We have God's grace and his, his plan and uh, com- coming up as we move through Romans. So we're going to get out of the wrath of God eventually. But, uh, but right now, it's, I mean, you have to start there. You have to realize that you have a problem, and that's, that's where we're at. All right, so before we move into the next section, I just want to um, pray for us that our hearts would be open to receive. And dear Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Romans that so clearly lays out the truth of, of, of your plan for humanity, the condition of, of, our, of our souls, Lord, um, our need for a Savior, Lord God, and that there is mercy and there is grace through the cross of Jesus Christ, as we remember today. I pray that our hearts would be um, able to receive and, and that your spirit would speak clearly to us um, what it is that you want to teach us through this message today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as I mentioned when we uh, started the letter of Romans a, a few weeks ago, that it was written to both Jews and Gentiles. But in this section, Paul is focusing in on just the Jewish believers. Uh, Paul, have it, you know, he was a Jew, so he, he knew where they were coming from. He knew some of their hang-ups. He knew some of their pitfalls, and he, he had some of them himself. And so um, he, he was trying to bring these to light. For over 2,000 years, the Jewish people were God's chosen people. Um, they were in possession of God's command and his covenants. And for some of them, that title of being a Jew, being God's chosen people, um, and having knowledge of the law, that became their source of hope. And so Paul said in Romans 2.17, says, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. Now, they, they weren't entirely wrong. As a nation, they did have a special relationship with God. Moses and David both talked about this and wrote about this. Um, Before Israel crossed into the promised land, Moses spoke to them and he said in Deuteronomy 4, 7 and 8, he said, For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and fair as this body of instructions that I am giving you today. They were different than any other nation. They were set apart. David said in Psalms 147, 19 and 20, he said, He has revealed his words to Jacob, his decrees and regulations to Israel. He has not done this for any other nation. They do not know his regulations. The Jewish people were blessed And the law of God allowed them to know God in a way that no other nation did. And God even made a way for them to experience temporary atonement for their sins so that he could be near to them in a way that no other nation was able to experience. The law was a tool for them to use so that they could show God their love and devotion by seeking to obey it. And also when they failed, They were able to recognize that, and the law pointed out those sins so that they could make the appropriate sacrifices so that they could have this temporary covering over their sin. It wasn't a permanent covering, but it was a temporary covering for their sin until the day that the promised Messiah would come. 
This heritage, though it was meant to be a blessing, <clears throat> had become a hang-up for some of them that had, had missed the point. For those who had hung their hat on the title of being a Jew or uh, just the fact that they had this knowledge in their possession. Now, most of us here, if not all of us, are not Jews. Um, we, we don't have, we're not descendants of the Israelites. And, uh, and so we may, may not see the relevance. But for, for us as Americans, we can have some of these same major hang-ups. Uh, we grew up in what was known as a Christian nation. Most of our founding fathers were identified as Christians, or at least they believed in, in the God of the Bible. They had biblical values. Those values were imprinted on our founding documents. Uh, when I was a kid in school, especially in elementary school, uh, you know, I knew that most of the kids in my class went to some Christian church. Uh, they have a heritage. Those, those other kids in my class, they had a heritage of growing up in a Christian nation and growing up going to some sort of Sunday school or um, catechism class or something. And they uh, thought that was enough to lump themselves in as being a Christian. Um, I'm reminded of a, a skit and um, there was a, a skit that I watched when I, or they did it at camps and stuff where uh, people would, you know, the guy would come walking across the stage saying, you know, I'm a car, you know, and brum, 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 you know like he's driving around or whatever. And they say, what, what's going on? I'm a car. And it's like, why are you a car? Well, because I, I sleep in the garage, you know, that's right. You know, <laughs> so I'm a car. It's like, well, just going to a garage doesn't make you a car just because you live in a garage. And so they go through a whole different scenarios like that. And it's like, just because you went to a church, uh, just because you know some things about Christianity doesn't make you a Christian. But, but that's, like I say, it's a hang-up in America. There's a Pew Research Center study back in 2020 that found 64% of Americans identify as Christian. 64% identify as Christians. But according to another study done by Arizona Christian University, only 35% of Americans believe that salvation comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 64% say they're Christians. 35% say that salvation comes through Christ alone. There are millions of people who profess to be Christians, but their faith is misplaced. It's not in Jesus. Um, the study went on and said that uh, even in Pentecostal, mainline Protestant, and evangelical churches, over 40% believe that a person can, can qualify for heaven by being or doing good. They may also believe in Jesus, but they don't understand that salvation is only through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul's writing uh, specifically to the Jews, but like I said, we Christians in America can apply much of this warning to ourselves. And so with that in mind, let's continue and we'll read through um, some more of Romans chapter 2, starting at verse 18. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness 
You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God, for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. In Matthew, Jesus was approached by some, re- <coughs> some religious leaders known as Sadducees. Uh, the Sadducees were members of the Sanhedrin, the kind of the religious ruling class. Uh, they were uh, also with the Pharisees, were also part of the Sanhedrin. Uh, but the Sadducees' approach to Scripture was much more conservative, and that conservative approach led them to not believe in the resurrection of the dead, which is why they were sad, you see. So it's a good way to kind of remember that. I was, I was kind of curious, you know, I've always, when you, when you become a, when you, I've, I've seen pastors that have told jokes and they're kind of, I don't know, they're not always funny, but everybody laughs. And so I was just seeing if I would, st- you know, I'm new at this. So I was wondering if I'd, st- if I'd get a laugh even when it's not funny. And so it, it seems like it's, it's, it's following along. So thank you very much. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, these Sadducees, they, they came to Jesus with questions uh, related to this um, resurrection of the dead. They, they wanted to provide this scenario that they thought would kind of prove that the resurrection of the dead was not a real thing. And before Jesus taught them how they were mistaken, he said to them in verse 29, uh, Matthew 22, verse 29, he said, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Now they thought they knew the scriptures. I mean, these were the, the leaders of of the faith in their, in their nation. And they had confidence in their knowledge of the scriptures, but they didn't understand the meaning of the scriptures. And Jesus said that they didn't know the power of God. They were likely suffering from the same hang-up that Paul is addressing here. They had the same problem that many Christians in America have. They have trust in their knowledge. They have trust in their heritage. They're convinced that they're a light, that they have the answers for everybody else and, uh, and that they can teach everybody else, but they don't really understand and they haven't experienced the power of God. It's the power of God that gives new life, not the law, not our knowledge. That doesn't give us new life. The power of God is what gives us new life and it comes through the promise. American Christians might be proud to carry the title of Christian. Maybe some, maybe some aren't, but, but some of them proudly declare that they're a Christian. And they may even believe that Christianity is the only way to heaven. They may know basic facts about Christianity. In fact, some of them might even be Bible scholars and teaching in churches and seminaries. But if they haven't submitted their life to the Lordship of Jesus and fully trusted in the work of the cross for the cleansing of their sins, they don't know the power of God. They don't know the power that makes us right with him. It's not in knowledge, but it's in the blood of Jesus, just as we remembered today in communion. The scriptures only point the way. Romans Road only points the way. Anybody can memorize a list of verses, but the power is when you put your trust and your hope in the blood that was shed on the cross for the penalty of death that we had earned for our sins and we've been forgiven. 
As we move on, uh, Romans 2.21 says, Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. Now, I don't know exactly why um, Paul used these specific examples, why he talked about uh, stealing and adultery and idolatry. Um, I don't know if these were sins that were very prevalent with Jews in Rome at this time, but the point is, is that they had so much confidence in their knowledge and in their understanding, so much so that they thought that they were able to teach others. They were proud of that knowledge, believing that they had this inside track on being righteous, but they didn't obey it. They, they knew all this stuff, but they didn't obey it. They didn't practice what they preached. They were proud of their knowledge and dishonored God at the same time. It, it makes me think of... Uh, the image that Jesus painted a picture of somebody who, you know, tries to remove the speck from his neighbor's eye while he has a log in his own eye, you know, and, and just the picture of that is just ridiculous. And the, you'd have to imagine that the person with the speck in his eye thinks, what is wrong with this person? You know, that they're trying to help me, you know, like what, what kind of a fool would try and help me with a log coming out of his eye? Um, we can get so focused on other people's issues that somehow we don't notice our own sin, which is actually preventing us from being any good to helping anybody else. It was this kind of lack of self-awareness and it was this self-righteousness that Paul writes about when he says in verse 24, he says, No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. That guy with a speck in his eye is like, you fool, like you, you're, you're a Christian, huh? Like, great. Like that means, you know, it doesn't seem to mean a lot when you're walking around, you know, trying to pick my speck out with your big log hanging out of your face. Um, <laughs> the scripture that, that he's referencing here when he says the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God is uh, from Isaiah 52.5. And the context of this, this verse is that the Israelites had continued to do evil in the sight of the Lord. They had worshipped other gods. They followed the, the practices of pagan cultures as well as practicing um, sinful things that the kings of their, na their very nation came up with and introduced to them. So as we read back in chapter 1, you know, they came up with new ways of sinning. Again and again, the Lord had sent his prophets to warn them. He sent them both to Israel. He sent them to Judah. He said, turn from all of your evil ways. Obey my commands and decrees. But they were stubborn and they refused to believe in the Lord their God. So God allowed them to be taken captive by the Assyrians. And because of their captivity, which was allowed because of their sin, Isaiah says that the name of God was blasphemed. But God spoke through Isaiah saying that he would restore them. 
And in this prophecy, he didn't say that he was going to restore them by revealing his law to them so that they will know him. He said instead in in Isaiah 52, verse 6, the very next verse after he said that his name is blasphemed because of them, he says, but I will reveal my name to my people. I will reveal my name to my people and they will come to know its power. Then at last they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. Israel needed to know their God. They needed to know the name of the one true God and that in that name there is power. Israel had a hard time understanding, even from the very beginning, that knowing God was what carried power, not just knowing about God. They needed to know him. If you remember back, uh, way back in Mount Sinai, when God was giving the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel, and he's, uh, he's speaking out of a, a, a mountain. He's out of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is, is covered with smoke. There's, there's flashes of lightning. There's thunder, and the voice of God is coming out, and he, he gives them the Ten, Commandment, Ten Commandments, and uh, the people got afraid, and the people said that they didn't want to hear from God anymore. They just wanted uh, Moses to hear from God and tell them, what God said. And uh, Moses tried to tell them, he said, you know, the power of God that's being displayed here is meant to give you a healthy fear of the Lord so that you will obey what he's telling you. You need to know him. You need to know his power so that you will obey. If they were going to walk as children of God, they needed more than just the law. They needed to know God and know his power. But instead, they just wanted to hear about God and Their fear of the Lord faded, and they continually denied him over and over again and turned to false and powerless gods. The law was not enough to make them right with God back then, and our knowledge about God is not enough for us today. Our knowledge about what's right and wrong is not enough for us today. We have to know him, and there's no end to our knowing of God. Paul, after 30 years of ministry, writes in Philippians chapter 3 that he said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. He wanted to know him more. He hadn't come to the end of knowing God. We never will. Jesus said about knowing God, he said in John 17, 3, said, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Eternal life is in knowing God and in knowing Jesus Christ. The power of the promise is, in, is not in knowing about God, but in our relationship with him. And ask the worship team to make their way up. Uh, we're going to talk more next week about this, but, um, but and, and I mentioned this a little bit before, but the heritage of the Jews was a blessing, but it wasn't the answer to the problem. The American Christians have grown up in church. They learned a lot about God's standards, and that is a blessing because if we obey God's standards, things go good with us. It turns out that if you follow the plan of the one who designed you, that things function better. He, he seemed to know why, why he made us the way he did. And so 
Um, that's good when we obey the laws, but we can't obey them perfectly. So the law shows us that we're in need of the power of the promise. We're, we need to know Jesus. Those Paul was addressing needed Jesus, but were caught up in ceremonies that were meant to point to an inward change. And he talks about this as we move into Romans 2, verse 25. He said, The Jewish ceremony of circumcision only has value, or sorry, has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For some Christians, confirmation, communion, church attendance, or baptism can be that ceremony. That can be the thing that they put value in. But if it is just an outward ceremony and it's not a sign of an inward change, a sign that the power of God is living in you, working in you, then you're missing the point. There's no, there's no power in those ceremonies. It, those are supposed to be a fruit of something inside, not just uh, a cover uh, that, that's, that's, that's really just covering a tomb. If we're trapped in tradition, uh, we could be missing the power that could actually make us godly so that those actions are fruit and not just facade. Paul expands on this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, where he says, So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized with him, and you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. That's where the power comes from putting our trust in Christ. We did not receive new life because of any ceremony or any tradition, but we trusted in the mighty power that God displayed in Christ Jesus. We see this uh, when we look at the thief on the cross. He may have never fulfilled any of the sacrifices or ceremonies. He most definitely didn't pray the, the sinner's prayer the way that, that we were taught. But he recognized his sin and he put his trust in, in Jesus. And that very day, he experienced the power of God giving him new life. Finishing off uh, this section of Romans, reading 28 and 29. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. This is true for, for Christians today. 
You're not a true Christian. A true Christian is a true Christian is one whose heart is right with God. True circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by the spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. A person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. So yeah, a true Jew or a true Christian is not one by birth or by upbringing. Um, you're not a, a Christian because you know the right answers about Christian faith or even because you're really good at obeying what the Bible teaches. It is only be, by being made right with God through faith in Jesus that you become a true Christian. I feel like I'm a little bit of a broken record today, but, but this, is, this is the point. This is the key. This is, this is where the power comes from. When we believe and confess that he is Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home in our heart. We experience the power of God. The Holy Spirit is the power of God living inside of us. And the evidence that that power lives inside of us is that a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. Sometimes there's a wrestling match inside of us this changed heart is wrestling with our old self. And maybe sometimes that makes you question whether or not you're saved. But the fact that you're, there's a wrestling match is a good sign that, that there is something in you that has changed your heart, that you're not okay with living the way you used to live. But if you can live a life that is dishonoring to God and you don't feel that, if you don't have that battle going on, now you have a reason to be concerned. There's a reason to be concerned if you're, if you're not living according to the law and you don't feel anything inside of you saying that, that you're doing something wrong. Your heart may, have, may be hard. It may, need, it may need some softening. I would say it is hard and it does need some softening. I didn't choose this topic to, to call anybody out, but I believe that God had a purpose for this message. That he wants to wake, wake some of us up. And, and I'll throw myself in there. We, we all could be woke up a little. We all could use a little shaking. There's times where we can get a little bit dull. Um, some of us maybe just need to hear this so that we can be aware that there's millions of Christians out there or people who call themselves Christians that still need to hear the gospel. They still need to hear the good news because they don't understand where salvation truly comes from. Their, their faith and their hope is misplaced. Um... Maybe God can use us to help them see that, that there's no hope in ceremony or tradition or, or being able to live uh, according to a certain set of standards. Maybe like we talked about the other week, kind of a shortened list of what's right and wrong they have and they feel like that makes them better than most people so they're okay. We need to understand that so that we, we can know that they maybe still need to hear. We, we still need to be a light to them even if they bear the name Christian like some people bear it and they don't really know what it means. Some of us may have needed to hear this because we have slipped into kind of a, a Christianity that's just kind of going through the motions. We know what we believe. We know why we believe it. Uh, we maybe even have our hope in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We know that our eternal life is, is through him but there's little evidence of it in our life. Or maybe the evidence that's there, the good things that we are doing, are, are more just out of routine and not because we have a heart that seeks 
praise from God. So the question is today, is your heart soft? Do you have a longing to honor God with your life? Has your heart become hard again, dull to the passion and the purpose of the Spirit of God that's living in you, that wants to shape and change you? Are you holding on to a title and on to self-righteousness based on your knowledge? Has the busyness of life caused you to forget what God has called you out of and the promise that he has in store for you? When we took communion today, did we really remember the love that was demonstrated for us on the cross when Christ died in our place? Paul, back in uh, chapter 1, said he was eager when he was referring to going to Rome. He was eager to go to Rome. He wanted to do something for the Lord that would bear spiritual fruit because he was not ashamed of the good news of Christ. Because he knew it was the power of God at work, saving anybody who believes. His heart sought to receive the praises of the Lord as his Savior above all. And he was looking for ways to do it. That passion for the gospel was was in him and, and it was filling him and he was looking for an outlet. How can I, how can I, how can I, how can I show God that I love him? How can I, how can I seek the praises of God instead of people? Even if, even if, even if it's going to make people not like me, like I don't care. My focus is on seeking the praises of God. What does God purpose and plan for me? Are our hearts so captivated by the power and love of God that we've experienced that we want our Christianity to be more than a title and more than a routine, but we want it to be the power of God living through us and in us, filled with passion, knowing that he is the one and only true God. He's the creator of the universe. He's the everlasting one, and he's the one who sent his son to die for us and to renew us, to redeem us, to give us hope, to give us life. Now, we don't often do this, and it's a, a little bit different service than, than usual. Um, so if this seems weird to you, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, uh, but sometimes um, there's power to having an outward demonstration of an inward commitment. Okay. And I'm going I'm to ask everybody to stand. We're going we're gonna to sing in a moment. Um, throughout history, when a call was made for volunteers for an important mission that was going to require some form of sacrifice, they would end their, their, their request, they would end their speech by saying, those of you who are with me, please step forward. So if you feel that God is stirring in your heart, asking you, are you with me? Will you sacrifice for me? Will you seek my praises above those of other people? And if your answer is yes, I want to ask you to come forward to the come forward to the platform and uh, and pray and make that commitment and be prayed for. And you can come at any time if you feel like God is stirring in you that you need a revival in your heart. I'm going to ask that you come forward. If you feel that somehow over time, for whatever reason, you've lost passion that you once had, and you want to make a decision today to serve him again with your whole heart, that you want to seek his praises 
and you want to surrender to him, to his purposes and plans for your life, I ask that you come forward. Maybe you don't know if you ever really made a confession of faith and you want Jesus to be Lord of your life. Maybe when you, when, as we've been going through Romans Road for the last few weeks, or maybe just hearing it today, something stood out to you and you realized, I haven't really done that. I want you to come forward and pray with us. Be prayed for. Make that confession to the Lord today. If you feel like God is speaking to your heart and you have something that you want to share, if anybody here um, has something they want to add or has a testimony at some point later during this prayer time, um, get, get a hold of Scott and, and, uh, and you can make that. But uh, let's just pray together. Let's take a second to, a second, let's take a few minutes. Let's, let's remember who Jesus is, what he did for us. Let's remember that this is not just about knowing things that are in the Bible. This is about knowing God and the power that is going to change our hearts and change our lives is coming through our knowing of God and our surrender to him. Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for your presence in this house. Lord, I thank you for this body of believers that are able to minister to one another. And I thank you for the, the surrender, Lord, to your will that, uh, that, we, that we made today. Lord, we pray that we would walk in that, Lord. God, that this, this stepping forward, this outward sign of commitment would be something that we would hold on to and that we would remember. Today we decided that we're going to seek you above all other things, that we're going to remember what an awesome God you are, what a powerful message you've put in our hearts to proclaim, Lord, and that we're going we're to take our lives, Lord God, and we're going to use them for your glory, Lord, in whatever way that is, Lord. We don't know all the details. We don't know the, all the purposes of plans that you have for us, Lord God, but we want to wake up with the power of the Holy Spirit living in our hearts, speaking to us and helping us that whatever we're doing, wherever we're going, that we're doing it in your name, that we're proclaiming it, we're proclaiming you in, in how we do our jobs with excellence. We're proclaiming you in how we show kindness and patience with the people around us, that we're proclaiming you when we see somebody hurting and we share the good news of Jesus Christ that has the power to save them and restore them, not just for healing in this life, but for an eternal life with a God who loves them, a God who created them, and a God who desires more than anything, enough to send his son to die for them, that they would be renewed and redeemed and restored as a child of God. Lord, let us carry that with us. That is the commitment we make today, that we're going to walk with the one true God, the creator, the only God that loves us and has made a way for us to be saved. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Amen. As you leave today, don't forget the welcome. that We're all ministers. We all have the ability to minister to one another. So if you see somebody and you know that they maybe need some prayer, pray for them. If you need prayer, find somebody, receive some help, get prayer. 
Um, if in this message you felt like there is something that God has passioned your heart with, that there's something He's calling you to, tell somebody about it so that they can remind you about it, or maybe they can partner with you in it. You know, as a church, we want to partner together. We want to team up to go and do the work of the ministry, right? We come here to be equipped and to go out and do the work of the ministry. Not we don't have to do it all as individuals. We can do it together. And when we share our hearts with each other, we may find people who have have been called to the same thing, or maybe we have have um, abilities that can that can help meet the the places where we're weak in, in accomplishing whatever it is that God has called you to. So. Share those things. Share those passions, those desires with one another. Um, pray that God will, will continue to develop those things in you and through you. If you still want to pray, uh, just feel free to stay in your, your seat afterwards and, and uh, Karen will keep praying for a while. Um, but uh, I'm going to dismiss. Hard to dismiss. I just feel like the Spirit of God is, is um, evident here today. I'm just so thankful that He's met with us. Uh, thankful for this church. And I'm excited for what God has in store for us. There's good things ahead. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Amen.